are kicking off our Advent Christmas series called Waiting. And doesn't that, I think that video explains the way that a lot of us feel this time of year. Am I right? Like we're just going a thousand miles an hour, constantly moving. Uh, we never stop. And, and we've got all these office parties to go to. We've got all the family members we need to see. We've got all the wish lists that we need to take care of. Uh, we're running a thousand miles an hour. And we say that Jesus is the reason for the season, Right? So, so it's Jesus' fault that we're so stressed out this time of year. It's Jesus' fault that we're all running on edge, right? But Jesus is the reason for the season. And one of the things I love is that God, in the middle of all of that, when our culture is just telling you to go, 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 God, in the middle of all of that, put the season of Advent. And Advent means, maybe you've never heard that word or you've heard it, you just are, are not really sure what it means. The word Advent means waiting, it's a, it's a sense of expectation. It's a time where we have to stop and, and slow down because we're waiting for something. What we're doing is we're joining in with God's Old Testament people, the Israelites, as they waited for the Messiah to come, and that promise was fulfilled on Christmas morning. But we're not just looking back. We're in a season of Advent waiting now because Jesus came once and he said he's coming again. So, so even when Christmas ends in a couple of weeks, Advent continues until Jesus comes back because we are waiting. And so God just puts this season of slowing down right in the middle of Advent. And, and how many of you would just admit, just by raising your hands, you are not good at waiting for anything? Raise your hands if that's you, right? You're not good, you're not good at waiting. And have you ever noticed... Isn't so much of life waiting for something? Isn't it? Waiting to go to the doctor. Waiting to get a table when you go to lunch. Waiting for that person to text you back. Even though it says that they read it, they still for some reason have not texted you back. Right? Or you're, maybe, maybe you look at 2018 and you just feel like 2018 was just a year of waiting. You were waiting on God to answer a prayer. You were waiting on God to move in some kind of situation. You were waiting on a relationship to be uh, restored. You were waiting on some, uh, a, a report from the doctor to come back. It's come back, and now you're waiting to see what the next step is. You're waiting to see if you get into that school. You're waiting to see what's going to happen with that job, with that promotion. I mean, so much of life is waiting, isn't it? If you're a, and if you're a follower of Jesus, have you noticed that we seem to be waiting on God a lot, don't we? Seem to be waiting on God all the time. And have you noticed God never seems to be in a hurry, right? And so right in the middle of a hurried season, God puts the season of Advent because God wants us to learn how to be people who wait with expectation for him. When I think about Advent, I think of one of my favorite verses, Galatians, <clears throat> excuse me, Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 5. It says this, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own. Now, you and I, we might gloss over, we might just read really fast a lot of the phrases in there, especially that first phrase, when the right time came. Because we're looking in the rearview mirror at Christmas. But, but if you can kind of step into the shoes of, say, an Israelite, I think that they would have read this verse from Paul in Galatians, and they would have said, no, wait a second, the right time would have been when we were slaves in Egypt. 
Uh, the, the right time would have been in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve blew it in the first place. The right time would have been centuries ago instead of waiting for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. And what Paul does here when he says that God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. What Paul is saying is that if you and I, if we don't understand what, what those images mean, if we don't understand why Jesus was born, if every time of the year at Christmas we just celebrate Jesus was a baby and he came into the world, and we don't know why, then, then we'll celebrate what he's done for us, but we'll miss Christmas in context. And, and so what I want to do over the next couple of minutes, I want to put Christmas in context so that we can see as the people of God what it means that God has fulfilled his promise of waiting. And one day at the right time, God is going to fulfill that promise again because Jesus is coming back. All right? So if you have a Bible, I want you to open it up to Genesis chapter 1. All right? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. All right? So if you need the table of contents, you just use that bad boy. All right? There's no shame in that game. Uh, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. All right? So Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. One And it says this, and you probably know this verse here, even if you don't have much of a church background. It says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we can look at this verse and we can talk about this verse. People debate, you know, creation, evolution. You can have those kind of conversations. But don't miss the main point of this verse. The Bible, right out of the gate, has this big idea that everything that exists finds its origin in God. You can debate the details, but everything that is finds its origin in God. And God creates, and kind of the pinnacle, the high point of creation is in verse 26 in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says this, then God said, let us, pause, who's the us? Let us make man in our image. Who's God talking to? God's talking to the Trinity. God is talking to himself. God is talking to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. This is a Trinitarian conversation. Let us make man in our own image. See, the thing that separates you and I from everything else is that we were made in the image of God. Doesn't mean we look like God. Doesn't mean we have physical characteristics of God. God is a spirit. God doesn't have a body. But what it means is, is that we do share some characteristics with God. Love, compassion, and things like that. We are the things that we are the only thing in creation that God made in his image. And so what happens here in Genesis 1 and 2 is what God wanted for all of us. Listen, what God wanted for you was a perfect life. A life with no pain and no disease and no setback or disappointed. God wanted for all of us a perfect life with a perfect relationship with him. But then you get to Genesis 3. If you get to Genesis 3, your Bible might say in like really big bold letters above Genesis 3, the fall, what did we fall from? We fell from what God originally wanted, a perfect relationship with him, a perfect life, life with no death. We fell from that. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? 
So here's Satan. Satan comes to Eve in the, form of, in the form of a serpent. We don't know exactly what kind, but in the form of a serpent, she begins to talk to this serpent. Listen, if you don't remember anything else I've said to you today, please remember this. If an animal talks to you, don't talk back. It's never went well for, a, for anybody. Don't talk to talking to animals, all right? Listen, Satan's strategy's been the same from the garden, Right? God's a liar. He's holding out on you. That's what he wants. Hey, did God actually tell you to not eat of any tree in the garden? Eve, God doesn't care about you. God, God doesn't love you. God is hurting you. You should do life without God. You know this story. Adam and Eve say, you know what? We would be better gods than God. We'll do our own thing. They disobey God. They stop believing God. You can see what happens when humanity turns away from God. In Genesis chapter 7, then the eyes of both of them were open. They knew they were naked. They were sewed fig leaves together, made themselves loincloths. So for the first time in human history, there's shame in the presence of other people. Verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Used to, when they heard God walking in the garden, they would run to God. They loved being in God's presence. Now watch, when they hear God coming, the man and his wife, what? They hid themselves from the presence of God. See, sin separates us from people and separates us from God. And because God is holy, God has to judge sin. And so God in Genesis 3 begins to give judgments for sin. A holy God can't just look at sin and shove it under the rug. God's got to deal with sin. And the first person who gets judgment, condemnation for sin, is Satan himself. And in Genesis 3.15, God says this to Satan. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Listen, that is the first promise in your Bible that Jesus is going to come. That's the first promise in the Bible about Jesus coming thousands of years later to be born in Bethlehem to be the Savior of the world. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans quotes Genesis 3.15 and says, Jesus is the one who crushes the head of the serpent. Satan might have bruised his heel. It looked like Satan won on the cross. But three days later, Jesus came back from the dead and Satan has crushed the head. Jesus, rather, has crushed the head of the enemy. So Jesus is pointing, Genesis 3.15, rather, is pointing to Jesus because God says Eve from you one of your seeds is going to be the one who will defeat the enemy now they don't know what we know they don't know that this is about Jesus so they're thinking it's going to be one of their kids and so in the next chapter Adam and Eve have two sons Cain and Abel and if you don't know that story just to sum it up really quick it was two brothers who didn't seem to get along well right one of them kills the other one and here's the thing, that family is broken. That family needs to be saved. But it, it, all of a sudden, it doesn't seem to stay with that family. It looks as if sin is spreading to all of humanity. In Genesis chapter 5 is a genealogy. We skip over those. It's a, it, a lot of times it's like an Old Testament phone book of people that we don't even know and we don't even think we need to know. But in Genesis 5, at the end of every single paragraph, you get this phrase. Verse 5, and he died. Verse 11, and he died. 14, and he died. 17 and he died 20 and he died and on and on and on what's happening sin is taking everyone out so now right in the opening chapters of the bible there is a promise from god and an expectation that a savior is going to come maybe it's noah right maybe it's noah 
Well, it isn't Noah. Noah makes all kinds of bad decisions. Noah sins. Noah needs a savior. Later on, humanity is going to get together in Genesis chapter 11. They're actually going to build a monument to themselves and say, listen, we don't need a deity. We don't need a God. We're gods all by ourselves. And they build what's called the Tower of Babel. God tears that tower down, scatters humanity, confuses their language. It looks hopeless until Genesis 12. And in Genesis 12, God comes to a guy named Abram. Later, God changes his name to Abraham. And look at what he says. He says, I will make you, Abraham. I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. My family, your family, all the families of the earth will be blessed because somebody is coming from Abraham's family. There's going to be a seed from the line of Abraham. We're all going to be blessed because of who that is. But the problem is Abraham doesn't have any kids. Abraham doesn't have kids for decades. He is waiting until he has the child of the promise, Isaac. Maybe Isaac is the Messiah. We know Isaac, though, is not the Messiah because God comes to Isaac as an adult and makes the same promise to Isaac that he made to his his dad, Abraham. And he says, Isaac, through you is going to come a seed. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Is Jacob the Messiah? No, he's not. Because God makes the same promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. By the time you get to the end of the book of Genesis, God has changed Jacob's name to Israel. And Jacob, now Israel, has 12 sons, and they have relocated to Egypt. Several hundred years between Genesis and Exodus. When Exodus opens, Jacob and all of his sons have died. There's a new Pharaoh running Egypt, and Israelites are everywhere, and they're all slaves. And every one of them remember hearing stories from their grandma and their granddad about how God was going to send a Messiah to save their people. You know that story. All of a sudden, out of the woods, Charlton Heston comes to lead the Israelites out of slavery. Right? You know this story, don't you? I'm just making sure you're with me, right? It's Moses. Some of you are writing notes. Charlton Heston. Wrong. It's Moses, right? Maybe Moses is the Messiah. Moses is not the Messiah either. Moses murders a man. Moses has anger issues. Moses is a sinner who needs to be saved. But God, out of grace, still uses him. And Moses leads the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt and out into the wilderness. And they begin to worship God. And God begins a relationship with his people, the Israelites. And God gives to them what's called the law. And that makes up what is undoubtedly your favorite book of the Bible, the book of Leviticus. And when you read the book of Leviticus, we read that and we're thinking, this makes no sense. This is so confusing. The point is this. God gives a law that's so high to human standards, no one can fulfill it. And so out of grace, God gives them what's called the sacrificial system, a system of over and over and over. Constant animal sacrifices because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so they're, they're, they're in this pattern of constant animal sacrifices. Sun up to sundown, they're making these sacrifices sacrifices and the Israelites have this question going among the camps to say are we always going to have to do this I I thought there was going to be somebody to come I thought a savior was going to come are we always going to have to offer these sacrifices 
And you know what happens. That generation of Israelites wanders away from God. Literally, they turn from God. They have to wander through the desert for 40 years. Eventually, their kids and grandkids move into Canaan, the promised land. And when they're in the promised land, they look around. And all the other nations have physical kings, kings that you can look eye to eye with. The Israelites, their king was God. You can't see God can't look at God. They looked ridiculous in the eyes of the world. And they said, listen, we're tired of everybody laughing at us, making fun of us. We want a physical king. We want a real human being on the throne of Israel. And the prophet Samuel hears this and says, listen, you're rejecting God. And God comes to Samuel and says, listen, they are rejecting me, but I'm going to turn it for good. Because Israel didn't know that one day they're going to have a king named David. And David is not a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination, but David's a man after God's own heart. And, and God comes to David. In 2 Samuel 7, God comes to David and makes a promise to David, just like he made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, even just like he made to Adam and Eve back in Genesis 3.15. And God says to David here, this verse, 2 Samuel 7.16, And your house, David, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In other words, God says to David, David, from your line, there's going to be somebody from your family who's going to be king forever. And so, so think about this with me. Now all of a sudden there's the expectation a Messiah is going to come. There's the question, are we always going to have to offer these sacrifices? And built on top of that, you add, now we're waiting for a king. Are, are, are all of those going to be different people? They didn't know. And see, theologians, Bible scholars have, have a phrase that we can use to help us understand the Bible as it moves along. And it's these two words, progressive revelation. And progressive revelation just simply means this, that as the Bible progresses, as it moves along, God reveals more. Things that were confusing earlier, God makes a lot of things plain the further you go into the Bible. And so the prophets come along and all of a sudden for the first time they reveal, no, 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 the Messiah and the King are not two different people, they're one one man. And that one man is going to be the sacrifice that you have been waiting for. So, so the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah begins to say things like this in Isaiah uh, chapter 7. In Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah says this. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, Isaiah says this. We heard it read earlier. To us a child is born, the son is given, the government shall be on his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You turn over just a couple of pages to Isaiah 53. In Isaiah chapter 53, we get this promise that we all know Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his his wounds were healed. The Messiah and the King is going to be one man. And by his wounds, we're all going to be healed. And then you get to the last prophet, Malachi. And between Malachi and Matthew chapter 1, there's 400 years of silence. Between those two pages in your Bible, 400 years of nothing. It's as if communication between heaven and earth are cut off. Until an angel named Gabriel comes to a teenage girl named Mary. 
And God says to that girl, Mary, you will give birth to the Messiah. You will give birth to the king from the line of David. You will give birth to the Savior. And by his wounds, Mary, we will be healed. And Mary hears this, and Mary grew up hearing these stories. Mary grew up hearing these stories, how one day Israel is going to be saved. A Messiah is going to come. That's why Matthew and Luke, you get Jesus' genealogy, and it traces it all the way back to Abraham, to David, to Adam and Eve, even to God himself, Jesus' genealogy goes. And when Mary hears that Jesus is going to come, and she's going to give birth to the Messiah, look at what she says in Luke chapter 1. Mary says this, He, God, God has helped his servant, who? Israel, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary goes back to everything that we've been talking about this morning. She goes back to the very beginning and say, we have waited for this. My grandparents told me about this, and their parents told them, and and their parents before them. Generations of people have been waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. And you're hearing this, and you're thinking, well, that's great. I can't pay my bills. My marriage is falling apart. I don't know if I'm going to get into the school, the program that I need to get marked. That's great. That's great. What in the world does that have to do with me? You're taking notes. Write this down. You're taking notes. Write this down. Here's what it has to do with every single one of us. All right? Write this down. Our stories are part of the bigger story. Our stories, my story, your story, your story, everybody watching online, your story. Our stories are part of the bigger story. See, the Bible is not a bunch of disconnected stories. It's not Abraham, Moses, David, and Goliath, and all those things. The Bible is one story. And and what God has done is God takes all of these stories and knits it together into one story about how God sees the brokenness of the world and steps into the world through the person of Jesus. So the Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is one story. And your life is not a series of disconnected stories. Your life is not a series of disconnected events. You're not just going around paying bills, doing vacations, trying to get in school, trying to pay your mortgage, trying to raise some kids, trying to get out of your house and get into college. Your life is not a series of random events. I love what N.T. Wright, he's a New Testament scholar, I love what N.T. Wright says. He says, if this is true, if this is true, that Jesus was born, lived, died, came back to life. If this story is true, then it isn't just a story among other stories. It is the story of the whole world. I'll say this, and this is controversial and unpopular, and I don't care because I can run faster than you and I think I can beat you, all right? So I don't care. If you're going to chase me, I think I got you, all right? Here's the world we live in. The world that we live in today tells us this. Your truth is different than my truth, but if it's true to you, then it's true. There is no thing as truth. So if Jesus is true for you, great. If Jesus fits into your story, great. If you find something true in Jesus, something redeemable in Jesus, that's great. But I'm going to choose another path because they're all equally true. That is not what God says. God didn't say Jesus is a Savior. He didn't say Jesus is a Messiah. Pick the one that works the best for you. God said this, Jesus is the Savior of the world. 
Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. So this is not a story where the world is like a buffet and we can just take whatever we want. No, this is the story of the entire world. My story is in this story. Your story is in this story. Because listen, Jesus came once and now we are waiting for Jesus to come back. And Jesus is going to come back at just the right time, Summit. Did you know that? Jesus is going to come back at just the right time. And when Jesus comes back, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, now listen. Every celebrity will confess Jesus is Lord. Every political power in the world, every ruler, every president, every dictator, it doesn't matter how powerful they were, when they are in the presence of Jesus and they stand in front of him, they will hit their knees and they will bow and they will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. I will bow down and I will confess Jesus is Lord. And so will you, and so will you, and so will you, and so will you. We all will. Some of us will do it in worship because we knew him, because we had a relationship with him. We're not perfect, but by God's grace, stepped into our story, changed our story, man, and God saved us. So some of us, when we see Jesus, we will bow down in worship. Others of us who rejected him, I don't need him. I don't need Jesus. I need God. I don't need anything like God. I've got this on my own. I can handle this on my own. God is for the weak. God is for the ill. I don't need God in my life. When we stand in front of Jesus, if that was our posture in this life, when we see Jesus Christ, we will be overwhelmed with his power, with his weight, with his glory, and we will fall on our face and say, you are Lord. And we will look back on this life and regardless of accomplishment, we will realize we wasted it. See, your life is heading a thousand miles an hour to an appointment with the living God. And he will come back at just the right time. And you will stand in front of him at just the right time. See, when Jesus comes back, it's going to be clear, church, listen to me. It's going to be clear when Jesus comes back that the point of history was Jesus, period. History really is his story. That sounds corny, but it's true. History is going to be revealed to be all about Jesus. The Apostle Paul, book of Colossians, says all things were made through him and for him. And so, so if our stories are part of this bigger story, we're waiting for Jesus to come back. This is not over. There's parts of the Bible that we can read that we haven't lived yet. History hasn't lived yet. We're in this story. If our stories are part of the bigger story that Jesus is the king of, then here's the question that you and I have got to ask, with, ask ourselves before we're done. And it's just simply this question. What part does Jesus play in my story? So if all of history is about Jesus. All things are for him and through him. What part does Jesus play in your story? Now, let me, which I helps out here. Think about your life like a movie. All right, think about your life like a movie. And we're at the movie theater and we see all the posters for the movies that are about to come out. We see the poster for your movie, right? 
You know how like in all the movie posters, like the, the biggest star gets top billing? You know what I mean? Their name is the biggest. You know, Brad Pitt and then the people you don't care about. The Rock and then everybody that's there to make him look good. You know? On the poster of the story of your life, who gets top billing? Whose name is the biggest? It's in bold print. It's unmistakable. This is about who? Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your husband. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's you. Can I tell you, Jesus Christ only wants top billing. Amen? Jesus Christ only wants top billing. Some of us are trying to give Jesus a good supporting role. You know what I mean? Jesus gets a supporting actor nod in the story of my life. And, and so Jesus is there, but he's there to help me accomplish my goals. He's there, but he's, he's there to lift me up and to make sure that all my dreams are accomplished. Is, is Jesus in your story, but he's just the supporting actor? Or some of us, if we're honest, Jesus is just an extra. You know what an extra is? An extra is the guy in the back reading the newspaper. An extra is the guy in the background of the scene drinking a cup of coffee. Like if you watch the credits at the end, there, his name is, his real name's Joe, and what is he? Guy with a cup of coffee. Is that Jesus? I come to church when it's convenient. You know, I pray when things really don't go my way, but, but other than that, you know, I'm really, I'm really fine. I thank goodness I'm going to go to heaven when I die, but you know what? I really don't need him, but I know that he's there. You know, in case of emergency, break the glass. I got Jesus. Jesus Christ only wants top billing in the story of your life. Listen, Jesus didn't come 2,000 years ago, born in Bethlehem, so that he could step into our story. Jesus came to radically change our stories so that he's the main character in our story. What would your life look like if Jesus got top billing? What would, what would your relationships look like? Your finances look like? What would your marriage look like? What would the goals you have for your, for your kids, what would they look like if Jesus got top billing in the story of your life? Because there's the thing, this season, this season, this Christmas season, it is easy to say Jesus is the reason for the season. Listen to me. Jesus isn't just the reason for the season summit. Jesus is the reason for everything. He's the reason we live, move, breathe. Jesus is the reason for everything. And you know the Christmas story well enough to know about the wise men, right? We'll close with this. You know the Christmas story well enough to know about the wise men, right? Did you know that the wise men were astrologers? They weren't like priests or Christians, you know. They were astrologers. They were looking up in the star. They see this thing moving, and so they begin to follow it. Leads them to Herod, and they begin to realize, oh, this person's a king. They really don't know much about this person, this soon-to-be or one-day king. Here's what they do know. When they get into his presence, what do those wise men do? You know you've got little figures of them around your house probably right now. They bow, and they give gifts, Right? See, the wise men said this to themselves. We don't know who he will be, but we know that he is worthy of more than lip service. He's at least worthy of our bowing. He's at least worthy of our gift. Summit, let's go further because we know what they didn't. He is worthy of our lives. Jesus doesn't want supporting actor this Christmas. Jesus doesn't want to be an extra. Jesus wants top billing. Because he is worthy to be the center. 
Let's pray. Jesus, I love that this season is just a reminder. Christmas comes at the right time. And it's a reminder, God, that you have stepped into history. That night in Bethlehem, all kinds of people had plans. Mary and Joseph, they had plans. They were going to get married, and all of a sudden an angel shows up and tells them it's going to go differently. They had plans, Jesus, the night that you were born. And Jesus, when you come back, people are going to have plans. We're going to have things in our kind. We're going to be getting calendar reminders on our phone. We're going to get notifications on our phone that day in all likelihood. And Jesus, you are not going to check and see if your calendar syncs with ours. Jesus, you are going to come at the right time. And so, Jesus, as, as all history is moving towards you, God, I pray that right now our church would just take a moment to see, Jesus, what's the position that you have in my life? Are you trying to be, am I, am I letting you just be an extra? Am I letting you just have maybe a supporting actor role? Jesus, if Christmas reminds us of anything, it's that you deserve top billing. The wise men knew it. Mary and Joseph knew it. God, that your church would know it, that we would know it. This is something with every head bowed, with every eye closed, no one's looking around here. Is there something in your life today that you need to give to Jesus because Jesus wants top billing there? Is there something in your life right now? I don't know what it is. Maybe an attitude. Maybe a relationship. Finances. I don't know what it is. Is there something in your life right now that the Spirit of God is just knocking on the door of your heart saying Jesus Christ wants top billing in that area? That's you. Would you just raise your hand right now and say, Mark, there is something in my life I need to give to God right now. I need, Jesus wants top billing. Hands are going up all over this room. Just put your hand up if that's you today. If God is speaking to you, put your hand up real high. Say, that's me right now. That's me right now. Man, hands are going up all over this room. And you know what? With your hand up, just go ahead and just give that to God. Don't, don't dance around it. Don't uh, try to make it prettier than it is. Just name it and say, God, this is what it is. This is what it is, Jesus. This, Jesus, I, I am giving this to you because you want top billing. I'm done trying to make you fit into my story. I want you to radically change me. I want to fit into your story. I want to be a part of what you're doing. But guys, we cannot do this unless Jesus is a reality in our lives. Do you have a real relationship with Jesus? That doesn't mean that you're perfect. No one is. But can you honestly say that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? That you have a relationship with Him now? Because, because if not, or you're watching online, I believe that's exactly why you're here right now. And I want to lead us in a prayer today. If you want to be saved, you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And, and these are not magic words. These aren't just get out of hell free words. This prayer is a prayer says, Jesus, I want to begin to live for you. I need you in my life. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. That's you. Just pray this prayer with me right there where you say, say, dear Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Come into my life and save me today. God, I give my life to you for the first time right now. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for coming back from the dead for me. Help me to live for you starting today. And with every single head bowed, with every eye closed, I want to give you a chance just to say, I prayed that prayer today. Or maybe you didn't. Maybe you'd like to talk to someone about it after church. 
right? So I just want, I don't want to embarrass you or anything like that. But if you just prayed to give your life to Jesus, or maybe you want to talk to somebody after this about what it means to be saved, I just want to ask you, just like we did a moment ago, would you just put your hand in the air to say, Mark, today I want Jesus in my life. I prayed that prayer. I'd love to talk to somebody about it today. Just put your hand up in the air right now if that's you today. Father, I thank you, God. What an awesome declaration. What a declaration we're saying to you today, God, that we know you. That you've stepped into our story and we're not the same because of it. And and so Jesus, just like the whole Bible is a story that God stepped into history and has changed everything, let our lives be a reflection of that. That Jesus, you would change us. That we would be different people. Our story has been changed. We are being changed because you are alive inside of us. Father, thank you for this time of year, Jesus. Let us not just give lip service. Let's give our lives to you because you're worth it. We love you. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen.